This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. It's Schumacher! It's Schumacher! about it, stick it on and send him out. Well, this has blown it for Irvine, blown it for Ferrari, I don't know what's happened. Welcome to another episode of Pit Lane Parlay. I'm your host, Mike Jokum. Matt is here. We have some Formula One news and ramblings to get to. No race this week coming up. I think there's a Formula E race somewhere. I think it might be in Rome, if I'm if I'm not mistaken, so I don't know. You know, we're we're starting off the coming off the weekend here a little. It's been a rough week so far, Matt, for both of us. Yeah, but hey, we got so much to look forward to. It's all about the positives, right? Right, totally. On that note, let's see. Let's start with the fun one, Haas. Oh, let's start with the even more fun one. Let's start with the story time segment. William Story is in the news again because he says now, you know. Return entry is not going to be on the grid this year, but in 2022, they're going to be back in the black and gold. So I know, I know, I feel like this is like a, like he's probably drinking a lot of this like Croatian vodka that he somehow like looped himself in with. So he might be very drunk. I mean, he might just be totally delusional. So we'll, we'll, we'll wait with eager anticipation to see if rich energy returns. Yeah, and I forgot to do the uh, over-under this week on how many seconds into the show it would be. So, unfortunately, I did not do one, but we couldn't have made it 45 seconds. <laughs> no, no, most yeah, likely not. literally got a new phone, and the first thing I see is that when I get on Twitter. And yep. that's fantastic. Something I could have totally... It was actually your fault for retweeting it, because I don't follow that clown. I know you do as a joke, but... He follows me back... And I like I don't hide my disdain in, in my tweets, obviously. And he he doesn't unfollow me. He doesn't block me. And I know from some sources I've been talking to that he blocks people left and right. And he's got like four or five burner accounts. Like the man is a complete lunatic. And yet somehow he does not unfollow me. You must have that special something. Yeah, totally. So on that note, Haas... They said they aren't really going to try too much in 2021 other than, you know, maybe fighting Williams here and there. Is that not the most depressing thing headline that we've heard so far this year? Like, I think that's more depressing than Haas saying or Ferrari saying we're punting to 2022 or anything like that. It's obviously it's something they've kind of been saying, but again, I mean one would think they would try a little bit. I'm not saying throw the kitchen sink at the car, but 
you know, when both your drivers spin within the first four laps and you are miserably slower than everybody else, I, I don't think it bodes well for you and for you to even try to be Williams. I mean, it's, if that's your benchmark, then you need to reevaluate yourself because what's, what's even the point of, of showing up if that's, that's what you're aiming for. How many races do you think, I, I don't know how to phrase this question. How many, how many races do you think that Haas will score better than Williams or finish better than Williams? Neither of them are going to score points. And I don't know if, if that means a second like both cars ahead of them or just one car ahead what do you what do you think it's tough because i think I can't, i'm trying to remember what we did a preview episode what one week ago and i think i gave williams the edge i could be wrong i have no idea it's so it's it's kind of like trying to decide who's going to be like a worse football team next year between like the new york giants and the Eagles and the, the Bears. Eagles, yeah. Like when they meet in the divisional <laughs> matchup, like one of them has to lose. And trying to figure out who it is is tough. So Q Q one might be interesting. I don't know. I think they can have their own little personal rivalry there, but it's tough. It's it's it doesn't look good for you. I mean, I obviously I'd rather be Williams right now, but what uh, if you're a Haas mechanic, like good lord, that's gonna be a long year. If you're a Haas and like I think I feel most bad for two people right now. Mick Schumacher, because he's in a no-win situation, and the Haas social media manager, who got that job because he or she wanted to be in F1 and wanted to be in motorsports and got stuck with Haas. And the amount of expletive that they have to deal with on probably an hourly basis from around the world... Like, it's not just, like, the U.S. that, like, you know, doesn't like Danica Patrick. It's, like, the whole world doesn't like Haas. So I feel most bad for those two people. They should get paid for each reply they look at. (laughs) Each tweet that says, like, a keyword, like, spin or something like that, it should be, like, a $5 bonus. Yeah. I just made made Haas, like, 30, 30 extra million dollars this year. Or you made that social media manager really rich. Yes, yes, that's what I meant. But what else we got here? Lewis Hamilton. I don't know if he thinks we're dumb, or I just don't know if he's just very modest. Thinks that Red Bull is definitely going to be faster in Imola. Do you think he's downplaying? Do you think he's onto something? Do you think, regardless of what happens, Mercedes is going to be in contention? What are you? What are your thoughts about that? Yeah, I mean, regardless of what happens, Mercedes is going to be in contention. Yes. I uh, listen. I think. If there's any year for this concern, this is so far based off of preseason and one race, this would definitely be the season to be worried about it. I don't I'm I'm drawing a blank. Is is Imola tight and windy or are there a couple longer straightaways? Tight and windy. Okay. So that to me would be Red Bull's favor because their car seems much more stable and, and 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 doesn't seem to be chewing through tires as quick. And I think based off of laps of testing and one race, we can like kind of safely make that prediction at this point, at least until like the first round of upgrades come. So I'm going to give Red Bull the slight edge, but listen, Mercedes is right there. It's not like it's not like there's a clear one two. It's like one and one a, and it's totally interchangeable. Yeah, I mean, obviously I get what he's saying. I just like, you know, 
it's kind of weird. I don't know if he's just trying to downplay it a little bit. You know, I do that in our league sometimes. It's like, yeah, I'm not sure how I'm, I'm going to be this week. I don't know if I got the pace. And then it's like, you know, P2 and qualifying. So, you know, I try to do that too. But I'm also, I have 700 followers on Twitter and he's got like 74 million or something. So a little different scale, but I think they'll be just fine for Imola. I wouldn't be pushing the panic button quite yet, especially after they seem to recover well from test to race one. So chalk this up to things we probably didn't think we would see this year. Red Bull has already come out and said that they would not be rushing Yuki Sonoda into the main Red Bull team. Now, just off the top of my head, we got Danny Kafiat, Pierre Gasly. Some would argue Max Verstappen. Some may argue Sebastian Vettel. We're all kind of rushed from one team to the next with Either I'm pretty sure everybody I just mentioned was under two full seasons before they got to Red Bull. Is it weird that maybe they're finally learning their lesson this late into their existence? Where they're on year 17 now, I believe, of being an F1, and they've come out and said, "Yeah, maybe we won't rush this one this time." Who who says they're actually they've actually learned their lesson? They say that, but how many times does this team say something? Like Pierre Gasly is the wave of the future, and then or Alex Albon is the wave of the future, and okay, I'm exaggerating. They might not have said those exact words, but I'll believe it when I see it. Well, I think the key difference now between what's happened in the past is Vettel replaced a retiring Coulthard, Danny Kvyat replaced uh, Sebastian Vettel who had departed, Max Verstappen replaced Danny Kvyat who got fired. Uh, Gasly replaced Ricardo, who went on his way, and I think that's everybody I mentioned. So the key difference now, though, is you got Max Verstappen, who is either going to Mercedes or probably not going to Mercedes, which is maybe a topic we should discuss closer to the end of the season. I don't yeah. know when silly season is going to start, but what Max Verstappen should do. But they they seem like they got a really solid lineup and can keep that lineup for a while because Perez doesn't look like he's going to be a slouch and someone who's going to get sacked. So it's maybe more of the Sonoda would have nowhere to go kind of situation. And right. it almost seems like they've kind of, unless Verstappen leaves, I don't see Gasly leaving the Alpha Tower seat. Or, you know, maybe, maybe seat opens up at like Aston Martin or something that he considers. Who knows? So... I think it would be the right approach to not rush Sonoda, but it's also been one race, so yeah, it's definitely a little early for a little early for that. Yeah, I appreciate maybe them getting kind of out in front of any hysteria that the fans might bring up as as Sonoda continues on his rookie year, especially if he impresses again. But I mean, when he impresses again, but I I think this is a, a I'll wait until like halfway through next year is done before I, you know, we'll, we'll save this for like next August before we revisit this one again. But listen, you mentioned Aston Martin and I have a super duper secret host question here to segue into Aston Martin. And it's from our buddy speaking. Oh, this is like the perfect segue because it's Red Bull and talking about Aston Martin. Red Bull advisor Helmet Marco believes Sebastian Vettel should have taken 2021 off instead of joining Aston Martin. And Matt, I don't care what Helmet says. I just want to know what your opinion is. You know, I'm not a doctor. That's a good thing. 
Oh, is it? <laughs> okay, I think my wife would disagree, but... Did I throw you off? No, well, a little bit, but that's not the question <laughs> I was expecting. If there's an Aston Martin seat open and they come calling, and I'm pretty sure, according to Spotrack, which is the go-to website that I use for all of my salary cap nerdiness when it comes to like football, hockey, yeah. etc., I think they have like a very minuscule page on Formula One, and I think Vettel is making twenty million this year. I could be wrong, but that would not surprise anybody, right? Because he no. was, he was making like fifty million a year with Ferrari. So yeah, gosh, you feel so bad for that pay. Cut. I know, right? Man, a thirty million dollar pay cut. What a what a what a shame. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if Aston Martin comes calling and they're offering to pay. $940,000 a race or whatever it equals to be. Why would you say no? I, I mean, I don't know. I don't care if your form would, may have been off the last two years. You stay relevant. As soon as you leave, you just never know. I mean, it took Ocon. Oh, I know it's just Ocon, but it took Ocon a couple years to get back. Hulkenberg's still not back. You know, Nigel Mansell left to a different series and came back and had a couple races in good car and then retired four races or two races into 95 because that McLaren was so junk. So you just never know if you leave what you're going to come back to and what the landscape's going to be like. So if someone's offering, especially a fun upstart like Aston Martin, you take it and you don't leave. I also think coming out and criticizing Vettel after one race to the point where we're saying he should have taken the year off as a bit extreme and criticizing him for having a bad weekend. Like, yeah, he had a miserable opening weekend. We can both agree there, but criticizing him saying uh, he should have retired for the year and taken the year off. I think that's a bit extreme. Also, nobody really cares what helmet Marco has to say anymore. He's like a hundred years old and his opinions are invalid. Does that mean I can invalidate your opinions? I mean, you could say it. I mean, doesn't, I mean, the only person that would agree with you is my wife, but <laughs> well, I think those are two of the most important opinions in the room right now. Yeah, they are my the most two important opinions. Thankfully, she's not in the room right now. Okay. Also, I I mean, there could be some subtle Red Bull shade in there. Yeah, you know, kind of like yeah. bitter that he left for Ferrari back in the day after four straight championships, and then kind of a miserable 2014. But could just be hard feelings, I guess. But anyways, well. Sp- Speaking of Omar, we didn't talk about low rake yet. That should be our new drinking term for the next couple of weeks. <laughs> so Mercedes was quite upset. We even talked about Lewis Hamilton saying the FIA is targeting Mercedes. Well, a little bit of the wind got taken out of that sale this week when Omar, the team principal for Aston Martin, came out and said that the low rake teams, because obviously the FIA has data and pictures and whatnot of what everybody's car looks like etc what enhancements they have Omar says that the low rake teams like Mercedes and Racing Point we they were warned of the possible shortcomings of the low rake concept coming into 2021 now I'm no expert but that doesn't sound like targeting to me if they're giving you a heads up Let's take a quick step back here, maybe for those who don't understand. How would you describe low rake versus high rake? Well, you see, low rake is great for maple leaves, and high rake is great for some of your grass dustings. Is that not what you... 
no, no, not for, not very helpful there. Well, you put me on the spot, and I could honestly not tell you the difference between low rake and high rake. I am the most clueless person when it comes to engines and how they work, aerodynamics and how that works. I am pathetic. My sum total of my experience with that is that picture of the cow going through the wind tunnel and analyzing the wind forces around it to see what part of the cow is the most aerodynamic. That's like the sum total of my knowledge. So I believe the FIA, when they say that the low rake teams will suffer, but when you talked about derating last week, it was like 12 words and it all went right over my head. Okay, so I'm going to try to explain this in about a minute, not to go completely off topic, but I I did pull up a, a bit of information about it. And this is very tough to do without graphics, being that this is a audio podcast, but maybe we'll throw something together on YouTube using what I found here. So a low rake is the essentially the angle at which your car sits. So if your car is flat to the ground, kind of horizontal to the ground, low rake means it is kind of facing downward a little bit. So the front wing downforce, et cetera, is most important. A high rake is where the car is sitting more horizontal to the ground and therefore ground effects and overall downforce are are more important. Ride height, et cetera, are are most important. So that is my very quick explanation of it. This article I found does a much better job and I don't have time to read it all because it's actually much longer than I thought. But there you go. That's my quick expectation uh, explanation to answer your actual question. If they were warned of this, then Lewis Lewis's argument last week has even less ground to stand on than it did at the time when we said it was silly last week. So, yeah, I, I mean, also, if they were warned about it, you'd think they would have done more to overcome it over the offseason, no? Yeah, probably. All right. Uh, I don't know of Lando Norris's contract situation, and I know he's one that we kind of glossed over after our Bahrain recap. I mean, he finished P4 and ran solid, but he also didn't. You know, he had a good battle with Leclerc, but he kind of just kind of ran his own race, so... Uh, but obviously, P4 was great. They did come out and say that Ricardo had some floor damage, which is the reason he was a little slower. Norris is now an intriguing driver, especially in the driver landscape. First off, I want you to describe Lando Norris in your own opinion of what you think of him both as a driver and off the track. Real quick, thanks to your Spotrack. Lando has a three-year deal that started last year. So next year is his final contract year in this current contract. So he's he's still got another year to go before his he's he's up for a contract renewal. He's only making one point nine million. Get ready, race fans, because the ultimate NASCAR experience is about to hit the airwaves. Welcome to Pit Pass NASCAR, the podcast that takes you deep into the heart pounding world of NASCAR racing. Join us each week as we bring you closer to the NASCAR action with exclusive interviews and all the news and rumors you need with your favorite drivers, team members, and industry insiders. So whether you're a fan of super speedways, short ovals, or road racing, or you've just watched Talladega Nights, Pit Pass NASCAR is the podcast you've been waiting for. 
Get ready to fuel your passion for NASCAR like never before. Subscribe now to Pit Pass NASCAR on your favorite podcast platform or head to evergreenpodcast.com and get ready to join us. Launching the fall on Evergreen Podcast Network. Follow us on social media at pitpass underscore NASCAR to stay up to date with everything you need to know about the podcast. Have you ever wanted to know how to win a Formula One Grand Prix? I mean, really know. Know about the driver tactics from the cockpit, the strategy calls from the pit wall, and even the mind games in the paddock. There's a lot more that goes into winning a Grand Prix than just 90 minutes of racing. So every week on the F1 Strategy Report, we're taking a deep dive into the decisions that shape every result. Hey there, my name is Michael Laminato, and every week I'm joined by an expert guest from the paddock to talk through the big calls that won the race and the missteps that resulted in bitter defeat. Before every race, we'll look back at the previous year's result and consult the current form guide, and we'll be in your feed after every Grand Prix, dissecting the outcome and what it means for the championship. So for your regular hit of Formula One analysis, subscribe to the F1 Strategy Report wherever you get your favourite podcasts. The Strategy Report is a beer mogul podcast on the Evergreen Podcasts Network. My name's Michael Laminato, and I'll catch you after the chicken flag. Dollars this year. Man, Gosh. he is 120th the driver of Sebastian Vettel. Yeah, so I feel... Okay. Lando off the track... Listen, I know he, he does a lot for the young fans with his streaming and, and whatnot. Personally, don't find him that funny. And his streaming is kind of annoying. But he does a lot for the sport and the younger generation with Twitch and, and that sort of, you know, the, the new social media streams that, that keep popping up. He's he's a good person for that. Other than that, I, I don't know anything negative to say about him. I don't think he's a bad person on the track. I think he just needs to step up a little bit more, that, that aggressiveness up a little bit more. And he started to do that last year and, and for the most part had a solid first race of the year. So I, I think, has he made the next step? I think that's fair to say. I don't think he's quite at the you know, contending for a race win level unless, you know, Mercedes has one of those Germany 2019 weekends and, you know, some, I mean, listen, Alpha Tower won last year. Who am I, who am I kidding? So, you know, crazier, crazier things could easily happen than Lando Norris winning a race. I don't think he's going to be a consistent race contender for wins for another year or two, but I think he's at least so far proven himself worthy of being in Formula One, I think he is quite funny when they when he's doing like a group thing on Twitch. Yeah, when it's just him standalone, he's fascinating to watch because he's really good at video game. I just it's so annoying as a video game fan. It's so annoying when people are that good. Yeah, like he's just really good. You know, would he be the first streamer I would pick? No, that solely belongs to Doctor Disrespect, but. That's neither oh, here nor there. That is. He's he actually follows. He's he's a really big video game streamer. Yeah. He actually follows Connor Daly on Instagram, I, which I think is funny. I know, I know that because I've seen you or the Xbox crew talk about it on on chat. But st- I, I know, I know the name exists. I still don't know anything about him. And then, so yeah, Lando is it's definitely like you said, great for the sport when it comes to that and connecting with people that way. Driver, he is. Obviously, incredibly fast. I agree with your assessment that he 
can often go through a race without actually making the broadcast all that often, which is kind of weird. He's usually front and center in practice when he's got a funny quote or whatever uh, being thrown out there. But yeah, I think as far as the next step, it's a little early. I mean, I know he's in year three, but I th- I would preach patience. It's really hard to move teams nowadays when you think about it with so many driver academies and things like that. Like the fact that signs ended up at Ferrari, that has to be some sort of miracle. Um, <laughs> given that, you know, they had a couple of drivers in the Academy last year. Um, the Mick's going to be obviously a big name with that seat going forward. And then you got like Alpine's got three to five. I did lost track. Really good drivers in F2 right now. Red Bull has a junior team. Ferrari kind of has a junior team and an academy. Um, so really it's kind of Mercedes that doesn't have a junior team, so to speak. But they have George Russell waiting and they technically have Esteban Ocon waiting. God forbid. I, I don't want that to ever happen. So I, I saw someone suggest uh, Russell Okong at Mercedes next year. 50% of that's really cool. Uh, I don't, you know what? We're going to keep the positive <laughs> vibes going here and just I'm, I'm going to pretend I didn't hear that. Yeah. So Lando, I definitely think can be a number one driver someday. And I think he's the de facto number one for now at McLaren, just as the veteran within the team. But I think we're going to go on to our last uh, topic here, which is also Mercedes related. And it's a quote that Total Wolf threw out this week, which, you know, I didn't see the backstory behind it. I'm sure he was prompted and was asked something related to it. But it is about Lewis Hamilton and Nico Rosberg. So, Mike, right now, one of my seasons, I'm on 2012. I actually just watched Nico Rosberg's first career win at China, which was brilliant. Felt really bad for Michael. He had a a tire failure after a pit stop. Tire wasn't secured on correctly. So, but Mercedes blew everybody away that weekend. But Michael didn't get anything from it. And so, obviously, 2013 is the year that Lewis moves to Mercedes and pairs with his good buddy and former karting teammate Nico Rosberg. And everybody kind of is imagining two drivers holding hands, skipping through a. Uh, field full of flowers and butterflies a la signs and norris and what did we get we got three years of very intense hostility between the two both in passive aggressive ways and on track collisions and not physical altercations but definitely verbal warfare was to be had for about three seasons in a row and total wolf came out and said that the hospital hostility between those two was not predictable I have to mention the hat throwing incident in the cool down room <laughs> that's that that pops up in like f1 video youtube videos that i watch late at night all the time but i maybe it comes up because lewis hamilton owns an extreme e team and nico rosberg owns an extreme e team and they that series made its very bizarre strange debut this weekend so I don't know. I'm just, you know, obviously guessing at that one. It's interesting. I guess somebody had to ask him about it. And it, it's hard because drivers come into the series of, as as friends. And and I get it. Some some are still good friends, even when they race against each other on other teams. Maybe that 
battle to be the best at at Mercedes on the best team took its toll on their friendship. Obviously, we don't know what happened behind the scenes if there was any words exchanged you know, between drivers that that wasn't caught on camera or, or whatever or text message or phone calls. But considering they were best friends most of their life, it's it's hard. It is hard to predict that was going to happen. You know, I know I mentioned this last year. Gasly and and Ocon were best friends until I don't know they were like eleven years old, and then their rivalry started. So you can predict that they're not going to be friends in Formula One. But Hamilton and Rosberg were were friendly up until that point. So it's hard to. As much as I disagree with Toto Wolf most of the time when he talks, don't necessarily disagree with this one. I didn't know you felt like I, I didn't know you felt that way about Toto. It's you know I I think he's a brilliant man, but and pro, listen, he goes to bat for Mercedes, and I get it. But when he says things like oh, you know, he pretty much echoes Lewis a lot. You know, oh, the FIA is out to get us. No, no, they're not, Toto. You know, it's it's things like that. Yeah, and I guess my thoughts on everything is that, like we said about Norris and Signs in the past, I think F1 fans who have watched Drive to Survive and have you know social media presence where they're checking Twitter a lot, and they see this kind of forced narrative of Norris and Signs being best friends, I think the natural thing to do is kind of apply that to everybody. Like, oh, right. I'm sure Giovinazzi and Raikkonen love to grab a beer after a race, which I highly doubt. But <laughs> I think in the pressure-packed world of Formula One, where your number one goal is to beat your teammate, 95% of battles in Formula One are kind of like Hamilton versus Rosberg and less like Sainz versus Norris. And most of the time you get a driver pairing of two guys who you know obviously know of each other but don't have anything in common or aren't really friends per se. And you got like another example is Leclerc and Vettel where off the track they would say all the right things but how many times did they collide in their two years together and how many times did they have, you know, Leclerc had this told to back off a couple times and do this and that and he gets frustrated and Adding on to the Ferrari one is, you know, you see in Drive to Survive, their PR staff is very, this is what your your talking point should be, and this is what you should say when you're asked this. So I can see there being a little, there no love lost when they actually don't have to do PR speak. Or you announce you're moving away from Ferrari to Aston Martin on the 1,000th Ferrari's race. <laughs> like, that is petty. So... Yeah, I mean it's 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 awesome. Don't get me wrong, but it's also extremely <laughs> petty. So kind of going back to the main point here is that you have to expect that this can happen especially when we're talking about the best team in the the sport. You basically show up to the season knowing one of your two drivers is going to win the title and you don't really want to be the one who doesn't. And unfortunately for Valtteri Bottas, He's got a large hill to climb here before he kind of turns into those also rands in the category of like Ricardo Patrese, Mark Weber, Rubens Barrichello. Who else am I missing? I mean, Nico Rosberg was an almost ran until he 
triumphed in 2016, and now he's going to be remembered for that. For he, he beat Lewis Hamilton. I mean, how many people have done that before? And I know Lewis had a couple, you know, issues that year, but it don't matter. He still beat him. Technically, since Mercedes Championship run, he's the only one to beat Lewis. Right. So I'm trying to think of a couple others, like. Gerhard Berger was another one. He was kind of like an also ran. I mean, he was talented, but man, like couldn't hold a candle to Senna. So I just, yeah, Botas's window is shrinking here, but I think it makes Mercedes happy because as we discussed, I think Botas's key feature is that he doesn't cause strife within Lewis and Mercedes's relationship. Like they're not out there colliding. I don't think they've hit each other once in their now fifth year together. 2017 till now i think they've they've i think it's it's happened once or twice i feel like i want to say at austria a couple of years ago i i might be making the track Rosberg up, and but... hamilton hit each other at austria yeah, okay I, that's the one i'm thinking of but i like think last lap botas, botas and hamilton have collided once i'm gonna google it while you finish out talking here so I think that's kind of Botas's key, and that's kind of a key feature to every great second driver, if that's a accolade worth bragging about. Because you know how often did Rubens Barrichello rock the boat? Mark Webber kind of rocked the boat a lot, if I'm being honest. Uh, he was definitely not shy of his opinions about being kind of labeled the number two. Even said as such in a radio when he won a race, he's like, "Not bad for number two driver, eh?" Which I thought was hilarious. Uh, Ricardo Patrese was. I'm not sure there was much to Ricardo Patrese. I mean, he had a lot of Grand Prix starts and, you know, he wasn't no slouch, but he wasn't Nigel Mansell either. But he was definitely a guy who was a cheap salary, which Williams loved. And he did not cause drama pretty much ever, except when he wasn't finishing, which was more than it should have happened. But real quick, I, you were correct. They collided when Botas was still at Williams. So, my bad. So we haven't... If anybody out there knows of a time in a race between 2017 to now where Botas and Hamilton have collided, I'd love to hear it. I yes, can't please. for the life of me think of one. Yeah. Which is prove crazy. Me right, prove me right, even though I think I've proven myself wrong already. All right. Well, that wraps it up for the week, guys. Thank you for again tuning in. So that means next week we'll have a race preview because Imola is in about nine days from now, which means we'll also have a live stream that weekend too on race morning. It'll be a little bit earlier than the last one. So hopefully you're up and tuning in with a cup of coffee or a PBR coffee beer or whatever Matt likes to drink early in the morning. So I forget what that was from the IndyCar episode already. Anyway, thank you guys for listening. Thanks for all the support. Keep chiming in on social media with your opinions on everything. And We will be back next week to preview Imola. Hi, listeners. We wanted to take a moment to tell you about another podcast from Evergreen Podcasts and Sound Talent Media called Pit Lane Parlay. Pit Lane Parlay is the go-to podcast for IndyCar and motorsports-related news. Each episode, we discuss things like our favorite drivers, news clips from the last week, and generally giving each other a hard time about predictions we've made in the past and or life stories that have come up recently. We really have a lot of fun with it and really enjoy each other's company, and we hope you can come join us too. Join Pit Lane Parlay by following us on your favorite podcast today.